The Old Testament reading for this morning comes to us from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the opening six verses in the 51st chapter. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. And look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew in the 16th chapter, beginning at verse 13, continuing through verse 18. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Jesus has now led his disciples across the Sea of Galilee once again and then north and west out into the region of Caesarea Philippi. This is the area surrounding an important Gentile port on the Mediterranean coast. And as they enter that territory, Jesus pauses to confer with his friends, there's something on the teacher's mind. 
He wants to share with them an important lesson before they go any further. So, putting his practice of teaching via the Socratic method in action, he begins by asking the disciples who other folks that they've met have said they thought the Son of Man is. In the account of Matthew, up until this point in the Gospel, Jesus has made reference to the Son of Man nine times already. So this would not have been a a new phrase suddenly lifted from the pages of the Old Testament and presented for the first time to the disciples. In fact, in several of those previous instances, he had unsubtly hinted that the title Son of Man applied to him, though certainly all people were sons of men, even if they were daughters. In other words, they were flesh and blood. But there was also a very particular Son of Man, one who was unlike any of the other sons of men, and this characterized Jesus. Now, he wanted his disciples to tell him what others thought about the identity of the Son of Man, so they did. And their responses uh, ranged from recent prophets, in the case of his kinsman John, to prophets of old, as in the case of Jeremiah or Elijah. Now, Herod Antipas had thoughts that perhaps the baptizer, John, whom he had killed, was back from the grave, at least in spirit, if not in body, to further torment him. And other Hebrews, awaiting the coming of the Messiah, looked for the return of Elijah to herald that event. From the apocryphal books of the intertestamental period leading up to the birth of Jesus, we are introduced to a Jewish line of thought that Jeremiah would return as well. So all these theories had precedent as Jesus asked this question about himself. But of course, all these guesses that had been entertained, well, they were wrong. And all of these guesses underestimated Jesus' true identity. For much of the world, even today, this is an ongoing misperception and a mischaracterization, a misunderstanding of Jesus. For those who would even dare to acknowledge his historical existence at all, many view him as simply one in a long line of Hebrew religious teachers. Still others as a a first-century shaman. And just shy of two billion people today believe the narrative of the Koran and consider Jesus to have been a prophet, a prophet of some renown in his day, but simply a prophet. Now, once Jesus hears for himself what those in the world make of him, he then turns to his friends, and here on the verge of entering a regional center of Gentile power, he puts the question 
to them, but in a slightly different fashion, dropping the phrase son of man and substituting simply I, again, reinforcing that connection that he's making. And he asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds first, which isn't really that great of a shocker, as that's kind of in keeping with the things that we learn about the temperament of Peter, having somewhat of a brash personality. And he says, why, why you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Well, drop the mic. Nailed it. Way to go, Peter. And the author of this gospel, who was a Hebrew, writing an account for an audience of predominantly Hebrews, had begun his narrative with the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. We read in the first chapter all about who his father was and his father's father and his father's father and so on and so on and so on. And we know whose son he is, son of Joseph of Nazareth. But here, 15 chapters later on in the book, Peter illuminates this manuscript with a divinely inspired light and gives us the confession that begins all confessions since. Jesus is the son of the living God of the Israelites, Yahweh. This startlingly accurate response elicits a response from Jesus, which is conveyed to the readers of his words in this text, punctuated by an exclamation point. Bravo, Peter! I knew that you could not have come up with that one all by yourself. The same holds true of, of anyone who has ever come to this realization and this confession. They didn't arrive there on their own. Not even the cleverest of us in Peter's day right on up to our own. No Einstein of the past, the present, or the future could ever intuit this. As much as we would like to think more highly of ourselves, well, we're just not that clever. No, blessed are you, whoever you may be, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Flesh and blood can only reveal to us the things of flesh and blood. It takes the divine to reveal the divine. And the remarkably wonderful thing about all this is that the divine has chosen to do just that. Make himself known to us. It is God who always has and always does self-reveal himself to his people ever since being present with them in the Garden of Eden. And as evidenced by that burning bush encounter with Moses in the wilderness, God makes himself known to us. In the words of one of our historic creeds, the Westminster Confession of Faith, God opens our understandings and renews our wills, our affections, and our faculties. He does this to benefit us and to benefit the world as we are an outpost 
of the world to come. Peter first believed in his heart, then confessed with his lips, and then Jesus charged him to put that knowledge to work, making him a cornerstone of a fellowship of folks who would also be led to the same conclusion and confession regarding Jesus. And as part of that same church, we are in that company. Reading and rereading these verses from the 16th chapter of Matthew, it seems as if the crucial question on the lips of Jesus is one that continues to hang in the air, one that each and every man, woman, and child has ever, who has ever been or who will ever be has at one day or another been faced with. And that question is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That really isn't a, a more pertinent, more central question. It lies behind everything else. The answer is at the root of our identity, and it informs everything about the life we lead. Either you believe and you're able to confess as Peter, or to you, Jesus is not Lord, and therefore someone or something else is. How we respond to this question, which Jesus may ask of us repeatedly in this life, puts us on a course for life or death, both in this age and in the age to come. There can be no more important question. As we gather here today, as we do each Lord's Day, within the walls of this historic house of God, built specifically three centuries ago for the purpose of right, true, divine worship, a part of that sacred act includes our recitation of the Apostles' Creed. As these words are repeated, we affirm and reaffirm our belief in Jesus, answering once again his question, who do you say I am? But do we really believe these words? Or are they just that, words, full of sound and fury signifying nothing? Do we believe these words, the other 23 hours of the Sabbath day? Do we believe these words the other six days a week? Do we believe these words in times of want as well as times of plenty? Do we believe these words in times of grief as well as times of joy? Who do you say I am? May we all ponder that question this week for it's far more than simply an academic or a theologic exercise. When Simon described his understanding of Jesus' identity. Jesus turned right around and introduced him to himself as Peter, the rock on which I will build this foundation, this building, this fellowship. He now had a new identity given to him by the one he had just identified he had known the truth, and the truth had forever changed him, just as it does us, whether we like it or not. We are free 
to reject this truth at any time. We can repress it, but we can never unknow it. And as we know who Jesus was and is, we know of his uniqueness. The Son of God, not a Son of God, the Messiah, not a Messiah. Knowing who he was and is, we also know of his way. I am, Jesus is quoted as saying in the Gospel according to John, the way and the truth and the life. We are enabled to know him as the way, and he invites us then to follow in this way. That is the mission and the mandate of those that he has appointed Peter to help shepherd. In the final verse of this morning's reading, we are given a sense of the so what of this dramatic revelation and confession. Peter and all those who subsequently come to the knowledge of Jesus as Messiah, Lord, Son of God, light to and Savior of the nations, they arrive there through God's providence, and so they can testify to this wisdom. Together, those who do have, are, and collectively will be the ecclesia, the church, the, as it's translated here, a group of people which transcends time and place and denomination, a royal priesthood, a company of pilgrims, the fellowship of saints, united by the power of the same Spirit that gave us this knowledge and empowers us to live that which we know, obedient to the life's work, teaching, and commands of the one we have been privileged to know as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and nothing, nothing on earth or beyond can stand against this very fellowship. The ones who will confess, we know who you are, Jesus. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God. And amen.